0: sometimes i hold debates with myself i never win (laughs) but when you do that and you just can't come to a conclusion sometimes you ask people so better word for christmas morning with children confusion or chaos (laughs) okay how many of you had chaos or confusion in your house this morning yeah i look around and most of our great candidates for that, you know, the family of nine kids, or the family of six kids, or the family of eight kids—they're not here today. <laughs> what, what happened? <laughs> I think su- I suspect something to do with chaos and/or confusion. Christmas morning is a confusing time for a lot of people. And, and by the way, I, th- I thought here's some here's some parenting and marital advice: is is you have that. Christmas, or the two, or however many, where you wake up and there's just the two of you, and Christmas is quiet and peaceful. And then you start having these little people run around your house, and Christmas is not quiet and peaceful. And I want to tell you goodbye to that feeling. Just say goodbye to it. Don't waste your time, because once again, someday Christmas will be quiet and peaceful. And it will feel wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you'll, say, you'll say, what's wrong? There's something wrong with Christmas. It's too quiet. Uh, and and uh, you know, it's just because that's what we think. Well, what has this got to do with a Christmas message? Because it actually does. This Christmas is a confusing time. Uh, let's recognize how much we don't know about Christmas. You know, just, just acknowledge that for a moment. For one thing, we don't know on what day Jesus was born. I mean, Jeremy said not December 25th. Prove it. <laughs> the odds are against it the text seems to imply spring or summer because the shepherds were out watching their flocks by night and and but on the other hand their winter yeah I, I did a little research uh, on the average in Bethlehem it snows it does snow in Bethlehem on the average once in November once in, De- no, once in December once in January and once in February <laughs> I don't think they have that you know, that, 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 that we have. So, so it does get cold enough. It does happen. But So it, it probably wasn't on December 25th. But really, you know, if you think about it, the odds against you being born on your birthday were 365 to 1 right, or 366, uh, depending on, on what year it was, uh, it, it's, just, it's just unlikely it was December 25th, but we don't know, that's, that's what we have to say is, we don't know, and everybody, now and then you'll run across somebody who says, well, here was the day, and they'll start explaining why, you know, you can just tune them out, and all you hear is wah, 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 which is all what they're saying is worth, we don't know what, what day he was born, for another, we don't know what year he was born. And people say, the automatic response is, well, wasn't that the year zero? And the answer is, there was no year zero. There was one year B.C., before Christ, and then there was one A.D., which is Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. Not the year of his the birthdays, it's the year of our Lord, so it, was, it went from 1 B.C. to 1 A.D., and, and there's no zero there, and, and chance, and because uh, the historians tell us King Herod the Great, the one who persecuted, tried to kill the babies, died in 4 B.C., <laughs> Jesus wasn't born in what would have been the year zero if there was such a thing, and, and so we don't know, we don't know, all right, the, and so everything about this day is, is, is confusing or chaotic if you want to use that uh, and this is real those those two items a year of birth and a day of birth are really big for someone when you're trying to celebrate their birthday right it, 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 those are both kind of key uh... features uh, and, and so let me add another one we don't know when they began to celebrate his birthday because <laughs> it's what didn't happen in the early church the word christmas is not found in the bible right? uh... we find the christmas story in matthew and in Luke, different aspects of the Christmas story. So only 50% of the gospel writers found it important to write the Jesus, uh, something about Jesus' birth. Uh, that, that's half, that's and it's not mentioned in the book of Acts. They don't celebrate it. It's, it's not mentioned in any of the other books of the, of the New Testament. Uh, there's no mention uh, of celebration, no mention of gifts, no mention of anything. But over time eventually people started feeling uh, that it was important to celebrate Jesus' birth. And, and they settled on a date that, and a year, a year that we now know is wrong, and a date that we're now reasonably sure is wrong. Uh, but most Christians accepted it because everyone was willing to use it, right? And so for most of the, the, at least the Western church, it's December 25th. In the Eastern church, it's January 6th or 7th, depending on which part of the Eastern church you belong to. But why do we celebrate this day? If God didn't see fit to include it in his word, you know, what do we do? We come and we preach from his word, but we say, but for Christmas we'll make an exception. <laughs> no, we don't. Uh, if God didn't see fit, and, he, and he, he could have easily, he could have easily put in a day. He could have easily put in a year. He could have easily put in and they celebrated Jesus' birth, but, but they didn't. Uh, so, so he certainly could have. So we're just working with symbolic dates anyway. Why don't we just ignore it like they did in the early church and treat it like any other day? Because that, people didn't, Jews didn't celebrate birthdays. Uh, they, they, it, was, it was something that pagans did. Jew, Jews didn't celebrate birthdays anyway. And there are lots of answers to the question of why we celebrate Christmas and why we do it when we do. And some people get angry and, and haughty and... and uh, scornful, talking about how it's all about the winter solstice and pagan holidays and things like that. You know, there are lots of reasons we celebrate Christmas. Uh, and, and, And really, I believe the biggest answer, the biggest true answer to why we celebrate Christmas the way we do is because we like to right we like to give and receive gifts we like the celebration we like the nativities we like like the lights we like the family we like we like those things and Christmas is is this reason is this is thing we do it I think that's honestly the biggest answer is, is that we like it but the pastor has another reason right the pastor the preacher the, the guy who stands up in front and preaches God's Word uh, he has another reason and That's that he gives us four weeks every year to talk about Jesus Christ, God becoming man. That he is God and that he is man. And that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You go, you don't need Christmas as an excuse for that. No, but it really is a great time to focus on that. And that's what we do. Is we, we focus on Jesus. God, man, together in one. And, and this, is, this is deep and important theology. And, and is one of the reasons I love this time of year. Uh, So today I'm going to skip past how it happened. As much as I've talked about when it happened, I'm not going to talk about when it happened. I'm not even going to talk much about what happened. But I'm going to take a look at why it happened. And not only am I going to look at why it happened, but why he tells us why it happened. Because that's really interesting. And we're going to Philippians chapter 2. So, if you want to follow along, you want to turn to Philippians chapter 2, one of the most powerful passages in in all of scripture, uh, describing Jesus and what he did when God became man. So, I'm going to read Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, which goes not only, well, 5 through, 5 through 8, I'll get 9 through 11, but 5 through 8. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so it's describing what Jesus did. He he emptied himself. Uh, Philippians 2 through 5, Jesus gave up everything. And, and, and we can't, when we say, when I say everything, we have to start trying to use our imagination to figure out what everything means. That he gave up everything. He existed in the same form of God. And form is an important word. It's, it's, not, it's not an outline, it's not a shape, it's not a figure like, like a, a mannequin exists in the same form as we do. Because that's not what that word means. He exists in the same substance as God. The same essence as God. It's not simply saying he was spirit. The angels are spirit. He's not like an angel. You could say then he existed in the form of God and angels, but that would not at all be correct, even though God is spirit. He existed in the form of God, and angels do not exist in the form of God. And if you told an angel, well, you're spirit, so you're like God, the angels would, would, if they were good angels, they would cringe and hold back and say, no, don't say that. And if they were evil angels, they would say, yes, I do. That's what Satan tried to get, right? Uh, The very substance of God. The very makeup makeup of God. What are God's attributes? Because they are Christ's, right? Omnipotence. All-powerful. Can do anything. Check. He could do that. Omniscience. Knew absolutely everything. Knows absolutely everything of all time. Check. He's got that omnipresence everywhere all the time no place where he is not check what God is God is love check Uh, the, the the emotions of God the feelings of God the depth of God all of those things check 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 what God is he is what God can do he does what God knows what God feels what God wills Jesus does too He is in everything God. He is in the form of God. What God owns, which is everything, He owns, right? You know that throne? You know the throne of God up there where God rules for all eternity? That was His throne. Ruling all eternity over everything. He was in very nature God, who he existed in the form of God. He did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. That's who he was, that's what he had, and that's what he left. And so, so that, that word grasped. usually when I think of grasping, I think of it in a negative way like like she's just grasping you know trying to find an excuse to explain away what she did or he's grasping at straws you know so some kind of desperate grabbing to try to get something uh, but but grasping is not always negative like you know someone grasping for a handhold you know you're you're ready to slip down the cliff and you're ah! <laughs> you're trying to find something you can hang on to or grasping after fame and fortune we we see grasping i think usually in in that negative way but a grasp is a grip only stronger, right? The handshake is a great example. Handshake, you know, good, a good manly handshake, guys. You teach your son to shake a hand, to reach out like that, to reach out and grab it, to hold it for three seconds. Not too strong. You're not in a contest trying to hurt somebody. Not, to, not one of these little wimpy things that collapse when someone does it, you know. And so you reach out for a good handshake. But if someone's trying to, starting to fall off the cliff, don't grab him in a handshake. Hold, because it's not a strong enough grasp, right? You've, you've got that handshake grip, but it won't do it. But you grab his thumb, right? Guys, you know, you, can I, John, would you come up here for a second? I, I don't know how, how to do this. You need a left hand. You grab. With that sucker, you can hang. You've got the, you know You're hanging from the helicopter, and you're dangling, and he's not falling. This hand will let go, but this hand won't, because this hand's got the grasp, you know? So sorry, John, we're both gonna die together. <laughs> That's right. Actually, you were a little bit low below. <laughs> and you might cushion my blow, I don't know. But <laughs> Sorry. That's a grasp. A, a, a grasp is strong. A grasp can hold. A grasp does not have to let go. But Jesus gave it up. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. To be held on to he had that firm grip on it he had a grip that nobody could break nobody could take it away he that was his grasp on godhood and he gave it up he did not consider equality with god something to be grasped he was willing to let it go he intentionally let go of his grasp on God, and and it says he emptied himself. Right, this is verse uh, seven. But emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant, and being made in the likeness of men. And your Bible may say he uh, uh, made himself nothing, or something like that. But <coughs> excuse me, emptied really seems to be the closest thing we have in English to the word that the Greek uses. And I picture I picture a balloon. You know, you have the big balloon, and you let it go, and a you know, and makes all those sounds, and, and, it, and, and you go from this big thing down to, to nothing, this empty, feeble, flimsy shape. He emptied himself of the attributes of God. He willingly gave that up, right? He had all that. Uh, he, he gave up everything that made him who he was, now, now, how this works, we don't know exactly, because Jesus never really stopped being God, so somehow he, we believe he, he held on to, he is like he put the attributes in storage, right? Stowaway storage. No. <laughs> Your storage isn't big enough. Sorry, Jeff. <laughs> he, he stuck them away in storage, and, and, and he had them, but he gave up the access to them. I, I, it's, it's Let the theologians argue over that. He gave up everything that made him who he was, and he took on the form of a servant. And it's the exact same word for what he took on as for what he had before. He, he, being in very substance God, being in the very form of God, very nature God, he gave that up and he took on the very form, the very substance, the very nature of a bondservant. What a bondservant was, he became small, weak, limited, defenseless, mortal. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty four. I love 1 Corinthians 15. It talks about what we will become, what we have to look forward to, and it's, and it's exciting stuff. Let me read just a, a couple of verses, verses 42 and 43. So also is the resurrection of the dead, It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. This is what we have to look forward to, right? We are going to go from these mortal, flimsy, failing, pain-filled bodies that perspire and stink (laughs) to something new that doesn't do any of those things. He did the opposite right? When I read these things, I get excited, right? I go, I start going, what am I waiting for? Why am I trying to live longer? Because <laughs> it doesn't matter. I've got this to look forward to, and I'm hanging on to this thing? You know, it's like, who, who, do I, who am I kidding here? But, you know, for, God gave us this desire to live, and I think that's probably a good thing. But, but we, that's what we have to look forward to. It's what he gave up. Only what he gave up was so much more, Even then, we will only be a shadow, uh, have a shadow of of what he is and what he has, right? Jesus emptied himself of immortality and took on mortality. He he did that for us. He had never been hungry, ever. He had never been thirsty. He had never been sick. You know, we never find Jesus being sick in the Bible, but I am just convinced he had all the normal things that went around. You know, I'm sure he probably had diaper rash. (laughs) He probably had all the runny noses and the coughs and the colds and the hoarse voices and all those things that everybody gets. I don't know if he ever needed stitches. You know, (laughs) I wonder about things like that. We know he never had a broken bone, so he never had that one. But he 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 had never never had any of those things. He had never felt physical pain. He'd never had to do any of those things. I might get struck by lightning for this. It may happen really fast. So if somebody else needs to finish the sermon, you'll know I deserve it. But there is a part of me that finds a certain sense of satisfaction in the fact that he had to be circumcised. <laughs> Take that, God. <laughs> oh, I'm bad. I just, you know, that I thought about that. I thought, wow. Somehow, just knowing that makes me feel better. (laughs) So anyway, back to uh, something more responsible. (laughs) He took on all those things. He took on all those things. And more than that, he became obedient. Because that's what a bondservant does. He obeys. I mean, let's, let's not play with words here. Do you know why your Bible says bondservant when the actual word is slave? Because it's because the word "slave" has such a horrible negative uh, connotation in in America, the, the the largest English-speaking country in the world. American slavery has been described. C. S. Lewis described it this way. He said Hebrew slavery was the greatest, the, fine, the best form of slavery ever practiced. American slavery was the worst, and 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 for good reason. Slavery has a horrible connotation in our society. That, that I'm not saying it's good anywhere, but, but uh, you see what's, what's, what I'm saying. Uh, slave, a slave is someone who must obey and do what he is told, and that's what the word is. It's what the word bond-servant means, a servant who is bound. In other words, he's not like a servant who can say, you know, I quit. I'm going to go find another job. A bond-servant can't do that. And so we found a better word, a nicer-sounding word, but it means slave, and a master is not a slave. Right? A master does not obey. A master commands. Right? The master doesn't have to be told. Jesus, the master who spoke and creation obeyed by happening, who spoke the world into existence, Jesus, that master, became the slave. He became obedient unto even death. Just in case anybody thinks that's all a sham, it's all a pretext, it doesn't mean anything. He became obedient, even to the point of death, death on a cross. If you don't think the cross is horrible enough, there's a a website I've been following, a a YouTube thing called uh, Expedition Bible. And they've got one on the crucifixion. And they display some things based on bones they found with nails through them and, and uh, this is a somber one, it may really it, you, you, you thought you knew how bad crucifixion was and you find out it's, it was worse that's how obedient he became the, from, from being God he became not just a man but a slave obedient to death even death on a cross. So when we talk about Christmas, this is what we're talking about. God in heaven becoming man and the lowliness of man. And, and the passage goes on. That's the why, that, that's not how, that's not what, that's not where, but that's why. And, and the passage goes on, this is what makes Philippians 2 so, so awesome, is the passage goes on to describe the results that happen from that. Uh, Give me a second to, to get back there. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And how fitting that he would get that reward and that praise. It is so well deserved. When, when we get to someday bow before Jesus in person, I don't know if you've ever really thought about that, but do you realize we will feel so privileged to be able to do that? To bow before him in person? As opposed to, to, to bowing ahead in prayer or kneeling or, or in prayer or anything like that, to see him in person and bow before him. And we won't say, oh man, I hate this. <laughs> we won't say, how long is this going to last? It will be our joy. We will consider it an honor to be able to do that. Uh, Just thinking about it, it's exciting. But Christmas doesn't go that far. Christmas isn't about the rewards he gets. It's about uh, what he did to become man. And that's the theology of Christmas. The theology of Christmas is that the deity of God became the humanity or took on the humanity of man. And short of the cross itself, it's awesome to have communion on Christmas. Short of the cross itself, it is the greatest statement of God's love I think we find. It's the theology of Christmas. It's the theology of Philippians 2. But here's what's really fascinating is why God put Philippians 2, 5 through 11 here. What we just read is put there for a reason, and he tells us why. Right? God doesn't give us teachings just so we'll know them. Understand something about doctrine. We, we tend to think doctrine is, is boring. We tend to think doctrine causes people to fight and have arguments and they come at it from this side and that side and argue doctrine. Doctrine is not given so that we can know what we believe and fight over it. Doctrine is given so that we can live according to it. Right? It is teaching that we are to live according to. And this passage, you say, well, what am I supposed to do with this? God became man. How am I supposed to apply that, pastor? Uh, you're right, you can't do that. <laughs> you, you can't do that one. But this passage is written for a stated purpose, and the stated purpose is just before what I read. Let me look at chapter, verses 3, 4, and 5. Uh, Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also have the interests of others, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not consider uh, uh, equality with God a thing to be grasped. And he goes on, he's, he's describing what Jesus Christ did to tell us what we're supposed to do. Treat each other as equal with ourselves. Treat each other as better than ourselves. With with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. The way Jesus did. Right? Do not merely look out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. The way Jesus did. Have this attitude within yourselves It was also in Christ Jesus. The attitude he reflected is what we are supposed to do. And then we get this description of what Jesus did. And what he did, we can also do. We are to give as he gave. Christmas, you know, and it's one of the great joys of, of Christmas, is it isn't not for you know parents and grandparents, uh, especially those of you who aren't either one of those things yet, you know, and believe me whether you believe it or not, seeing kids get what they want. Isn't it fun seeing someone get something that you gave them? And, and, and you know, especially when they don't go, oh. <laughs> you know, oh, thank you, another pair of socks. You know, <laughs> uh, when they're excited, when they, they get it and they, you, you see them respond with joy to what they, giving is fun. Giving is a blessing. Uh, we are to give as he gave. What he did, we can do. Christmas is a good day for this. But we are to give as he gave. What's that first mean? We have to get down off our thrones. Stop treating ourselves as if we are the most important thing in the world. My mom, she used to always say to me and my brother, probably to me mostly, I I, I often look back at myself as a child and I just shake my head. You're going, wow, did I really do that? Was was I really like that? She used to say, you think you're God's gift to the earth. That was her saying, she'd give to us. It was another way of saying arrogant, self-centered, You know, all those kind of things. You think you're God's gift to the earth. And I would, me, here's what I would do with that. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And I'd start evaluating this statement, right? Isn't the world lucky to have me? We're to get down off our thrones and do what we need to do to serve others. And it might be giving money or stuff it might be serving as in doing things for someone. And, and as I say these things, and I, 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 I look at this congregation, you people that I'm preaching this to, uh, this isn't a word of, of uh, reprimand, right? Uh, because I don't think that would be appropriate. I think, I think we as a church do pretty good. Meaning, when I say we as a church, means you as individuals, because uh, we are a body made up of, of individuals who do the things. The church is only what we as a body do. I think it's a pretty generous church. You know, and, and the you know, greatest example this time of year and very Christmas organized is Operation Christmas Child with the shoeboxes that we send out. And you, you look at the amount of money that it takes to fill a box, the amount of money that it takes to, to send those boxes. Uh, and, and I think this church does a good job with things like that. Our church and mission support, I think, is... A good example. So many of you give so much and do so much. I want to say in Jesus' name, well done. Well done. But, (laughs) you know that has to come. There's the encouragement to continue and probably to improve. Because though we give, you know, the the fearful thing to me, uh, the story of the widow's might, where she put in all she had, the rich people came in and they put in what they could spare. And the widow put in her little, you know, two cents worth. And as generous as we are, I don't want to be guilty of only giving what's convenient and comfortable. Right? Uh, Christ is our example. We can do more. And and when I say this, I, I do not want to put a load of guilt on anybody, especially on Christmas, right Uh, i want to give you a gift not a curse (laughs) Uh, but what he directs you to do you know don't go out saying oh no i have to sacrifice i have to you know labor i have to sweat blood and tears Uh, what he directs you to do do what he lays in front of you what what comes your way do those things but but most importantly when i talk about these things is, is I, do not, you know, I don't want to end on what we're supposed to do as if it was the most important thing because what Jesus did absolutely eclipses everything we do or could do. Uh, be sure you have received what he sacrificed so much to give because until you receive what he came to give... What do you think your faithfulness means? What do you th- and by faithfulness, I mean you're doing, you're trying. You're, are you trying to, to do something to, to say, I'm good enough? Because we are supposed to do what he did. We are supposed to give as he gave and serve as he served. Uh, but the best and most important thing we can ever... We, everything we do put together is just the tiniest shadow of what he did. Or the tiniest spark to reflect his light. Do not be deceived into thinking that what you do is enough to take care of you. Well, I've done enough. I've given enough. You don't know how much I've given, Pastor. You don't know what I've done. And and I'll respond by saying, in all honesty, thank you for doing it, but I don't care. At least when we're talking about you getting into heaven, I don't care because God is not impressed by the size of your gifts. He did what he did because he loves you and he wants to give you eternal life. You have to receive the gift that He both came to the cradle for and that He went to the cross for because it was the same gift, the same motivation, and the same reason. He wants to give you eternal life. And everything that He sacrificed, He sacrificed for that reason. He did it for that reason because He loves you so much. Receive the gift. He sacrificed so much to give. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father God, Lord, I thank you for Christmas. And, and I, I praise you that you allow us to celebrate on a day that's probably wrong. <laughs> Lord, but we get to celebrate you and what you did and why you did it. Lord Jesus, let us walk closely with you in love with you. Father, with that love growing every day, I pray in Jesus' name.